Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Tom Robinson. And I'm Matt Croger. Tom has kindly given up his time to catch up with us about how he is once again dominating the UK, you know, smashing all comers on his way to becoming the UK master. Uh, thanks for joining us, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, it's been a long while since I've been on one of these. I was going to say it's uh, initially when I was thinking it, I was like, oh yeah, it must have been at least a year, but it could be more than two. Maybe it's, it's, not since COVID. Yeah, it's, it's been before COVID. I think was the last time I was on. Yeah, wow. It has it has been a long time then. So it's probably worth revisiting, and particularly with uh, we've certainly seen our numbers spiking up recently in things like our Facebook group. It's it's probably a worth going over who who the man the myth the legend is tom tom robinson so do you want to tell the listeners tom uh, just a, a little bit about probably specifically mostly your, your kings of war background how you how you got into it and you know for those that don't know how you dominated for years well i guess it's it's the usual origin story isn't it the um warhammer collapsed um, Elliot Morish is responsible for all this. He got me into Kings of War. First, like first two games, I wasn't actually a big fan because I think he worked me pretty hard on it. But like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, but I gave it a couple more goes because Warhammer and the whatever leftovers um, were going on. So I tried about ninth age. They just weren't hitting the mark after a while. So I uh, I got more into Kings of War, and then I found out that instead of playing Kingdom of Men and getting smashed, I'll try Elves, and it turns out. They were very good at the time. So I kind of um, got into the game from there, ran elves to a bunch of tournaments, went to the, my first ever Clash of Kings. We turned up late, and I ended up coming first, <laughs> which was which was funny, uh, depriving poor old Darren Parks of his first major tournament win, uh, despite the fact that I missed my first game. But yeah, that's where I started. And then after that, I went into um, list ADHD mode. I bought loads of armies. I, I played... A million different factions, and that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. Alternate between fun lists and trying to find something which is competitive that I feel like playing. But I don't think I've ever used the same list twice at any event since then. So yeah, I've got I've got a bit of everything. Um, Northern Lights are currently my baby, but I've got I think ten different factions that I can play at the moment, and uh, I have been playing them over the last like two years, two three years, I think actually, and um, just. Finding whatever kind of weird nonsense I can pull out of my uh, backside and running them, and yeah, that's yeah. kind of how I've ended up where I am. Uh, in between them, I try and win some events, and uh, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I totally forgot that you burst onto the scene with elves, and that's when uh, I think there was a lot of power. And was it a shooting dragon combination? You you won that first Clash of Kings with. Oh, I'm trying to think. Um, it's when the the shooting yeah. elves was quite good at the time. I think wasn't it? Yeah. So. You, yeah, um, I think it was it was Dawn of Second Edition that had just come in, so points was what scored, not unit strength. So I had mm. a Green Lady who back then was Defense Six, fourteen, sixteen with Regen. I had a, a Dragon who was Defense Six, and then I had a Tree Herder which had Regen, and obviously he's also Defense Six. So like, I had 
those three absolute monolith units to uh, chew through. Um, and then I had a, a decent amount of shooting and some Draken Riders to protect them. So the kind of typical elf, well, I guess typical elf of the time, kind of wood elf list, which I brought across of a couple of hard-hitting units to take ground and a lot of shooting to get people off of it um, as they tried to get to you, that kind of thing. For sure. And I've, I always find it interesting doing the the big tournament catch-ups that you, you also get this broad spectrum. Of, you've got one end, which is where there's the, I guess, the the you and the Jeff Tracers who like to pick up, you know, a different army every time and, and seem to do well with everything. And then you've got the other end who's, um, I think from memory, more like your, your Chris Lynch's who, you know, have one really honed army that they've been really practiced with. Although uh, I think Chris has done kind of the same thing that I did because obviously Chris Lynch came across uh, into the scene a couple of years back. He just did a load of damage with his elves, played around within the elf list, and then went on a, a tear to play every single faction by the looks of it. So I think he's he's netted like 13 or 14 factions last year for what he played or something ridiculous. Um, so yeah, he was wow. borrowing people's armies and putting things together. And yeah, so he, he I think he went on the same journey as I did where played elves, did the damage, and then went off to try a sample of everything else we might we might touch on um how you construct that later but and before we get into the the main show topic uh, i'm not sure how much of a hobbyist you are tom but have, have you been i guess it's been a couple of weeks since masters do you do you get straight back into a little bit of hobby or uh what, do you, what have you been up to on the king scene since since masters um not too much i've got most of my major projects are now done. The last thing I really need to do was um, make some ice element, uh, ice nyad, sorry, and obviously I, I finished them off and I got them done the tournament before Masters to give them a run out. So actually, I've <laughs> I'm kind of like in that kind of weird malaise where it's like, well, what do I do now with my time? Um, mm. Because I've, I've 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 finished everything's done. The things I have that aren't painted, I'm not going to paint. I've got a couple of army boxes lying around. I just thought I'm not going to paint them <laughs> so i'm just just stuck waiting for new inspiration to come along um mm. i was thinking maybe an empire dust army down the line because that'll be nice easy to paint um and i have some i have some shenanigans with like eight to ten troops of revenants with scout in the uh, back pocket which i was thinking about so maybe down the line but finding something to do that in a way which isn't you know horrendous um would would, would come first i think other than that i've i've been painting a kill teams for uh, Warhammer 40k because there's like 10 models and you're done and there's a I'm waiting for bits to come through to be do a, a scenic little movement tra- not, not scenic, like a scenic um, tray whatever they've got display board that's the one so I'm yeah. waiting for the stuff to come through because apparently it takes three weeks to deliver an insulation foam yeah, I'm, I'm, actually it's interesting you bring up Empire of Dust I'm frankly surprised we don't see more Empire of Dust around I'm not, I'm not sure why that is I mean I feel like they're an extremely strong list um, I've played a lot against them on UB, but they, they probably do play slightly, particularly because I, at the moment, I end up doing a lot of play by email. I think they're particularly strong there because you probably have a little bit more time to work out what your opportunities are. But yeah, I, I'm surprised we don't see more of it competitively. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think Hammer is definitely one of the stronger armies at the moment, um, and it is. I think. I think it's just. A lot of people just don't have the army yet, which is kind of a shame considering their new models came out and they're actually quite nice. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, for myself with hobby, I think I've uh, – what have I been working on? Oh, more. I'm, I'm trying to build up 
uh, a horde of stalwarts for the for the halflings, and I'm actually going to put to, together a, a horde of juggers too because I can never resist a cav horde. Uh, yeah. I, you're a you quite enjoy cav horde too of the revenant cav variety from my from memory, Tom. In a couple of other yeah. Yeah, Re- Revenant Cav Hordes back in the, well, to be fair, I say back in the day, but I've got some Revenant Cav upstairs. Um, and then um, Lingerardia with the uh, Horde of Knights, where I think that was back when people were saying, like, I remember a couple of counter charge episodes where people saying, oh, Horde of Knights, you're never going to do anything with it. And uh, I looked at that, I looked at Brewer and went, actually, that'll kill anything in the game. And if you base your army around delivering the knights, yeah. they're going to kill anything in the game. And that's what they did. So I, I think I got a. I won some event off the back of Horde Knights. I think Horde Knights became a bit more accepted as these are super heavy infantry, but sometimes they can run really fast when you don't, you know, expect it. So juggers are great. That nimble's awesome on them. Yeah, well, and and, and that's my that's that's my thought, right? I think nimble, like they they still end up quite expensive, but li- nimble with the thunderous charge too. And particularly now that you got the muster captain with the strider aura. Uh, who is who is pretty decent in his own right with with five little attacks there. I, I think it certainly becomes a viable option. Yeah, it gives um I think it gives halflings that real actual hammer unit which they don't really have anywhere else. Everything else is something plus a harvester that kind of job. Yeah. So just having a horde of juggers, he could turn around and go, "Well, I'm gonna have Strider. I'm going to be hitting on threes and then winning on at least threes, most likely. And that's going to put a good 16 damage through and that's going to kill nearly anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got a, we've got a little one day out of 2000 points coming up. And I'm, if I can get that painted in time, I've considered taking an all mounted list just for fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually fairly competitive. I had a, I started a half army, then I looked at all the models and sold it to Cy Clifford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I was, I was, I was thinking of going. Like full cav shenanigans. What what makes you pick up a list? So you said you got a couple of army boxes sitting there, as in they're extra stuff for the Northern Alliance, or are they different armies and you're just not vibing with them? Different armies. Um, it, when you win enough events, quite often you pick up a you get an army box as a um, a prize. So I've got a Foster's Abyss army box, an Undead army box. Um, I had a Halfling army box, and I've got an Empire Dust army box. Um, over the over the course of a couple of years, and then you just like some of them get picked and picked apart to use for things here and there, and other ones they just sit in a a cupboard when I maybe sometime find the inspiration to actually make use of them. Right. Well, we might get into our main topic, which is uh, you being the the UK master. Now, can you remind me? So the UK Masters has been in its new form for a few years now. Have, have you you've won it before yet? Yeah, this is my third time winning it. Third time. Third. Yeah, yeah. gee, they must be getting sick of you there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. And um, we, we might just touch on the format because I think I knew from Steve Hildrew. So the, the TO is, is selected and then the TO seems to get quite a bit of um, quite a bit of rope to kind of do what they want for the for the Masters in terms of coming up with the format and the scoring system and things like that. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm not on the Masters committee itself, but it does seem as if uh, whoever's hosting it can turn around and do little weird things here and there. Um, so, like, last year you had, they decided to try a new scoring system um, and it wasn't the best. Like, I wasn't very happy with it. It wasn't a very good system. 
obviously we've we've had the conversation and people have made adjustments to the formula since then to try and improve it. Um, but that one kind of put a dampener on for me on the whole event. And this year it's been a little bit more restrained, but there's still been that element of here's some new scenarios that you never played before. Here's a, a scoring system which none of you used before. Um, and here's a map packs that none of you are familiar with, which I don't, I'm not opposed to. Um, I like, I think if it's masters, you go, you go clean, you go down the middle. Um, and I think actually for the, for the purpose of this event, they used um, King of Hearts scoring system, which is, um, like you, it's kind of like your your standard win loss draw. Your scenario is then your divider, and then after that, if you're still tied, you move to kill points. So winning the game is priority. Um, winning the game with a high scenario is the secondary priority because if two people are on four wins each, whoever has the highest scenario points is effectively winning. And then after that, if you're still tied, it's kill points. So kill points don't really matter, which plays obviously massively into how you actually play the game itself. Uh, and how you construct a list. Because if you look going to that, think, well, I don't need to kill anything. I just need to be alive and stun objectives. And obviously, you're going to alter your list adjustingly. Uh, adjust your list accordingly, I should say. Um, so, yeah, King of Hearts, I actually quite enjoyed it as a, a scoring system. And then the map packs were, there was three smaller hills. And the map packs were quite, for what the terrain layout was, was um, a bit, a lot, quite a lot of smaller terrain. So very small, impassable, that kind of thing. So it's not as easy to anchor or flank on a piece of impassable, that kind of thing as well. Uh, and then it was mm. height one, difficult terrain rather than flat, which again means there's a lot more cover if you've um, if you've got shooting that you have to then deal with. Because um, a height one difficult is effectively a height one forest um, rather than flat, where you obviously you're only getting cover if you're in it. There's no cover shooting over it, that kind of thing. So it was a bit different from what you'd usually have. But uh, I've seen the argument go both ways. Uh, it's either you're a master, a master's level player because you got into the masters, so you should be able to deal with it. And then the other way around is it's masters. We don't need to do silly things. Just let's play the game, have some fun, go on a night out on Saturday, and you know enjoy ourselves. <laughs> keep you know, keep it yeah. clean or go crazy. And I, I can see the arguments for both, really. Exactly, I can see the arguments for both too. It seems to be the perennial argument too, as does scoring systems, right? Whereas, I mean, I'm part of I was a small part of bringing blackjack out but uh and you see it always going oh you know what's people's favorite in the end I think it's great that there's lots of different scoring systems and I think as long as as long as people have enough notice like you said adjust your list accordingly right you're, you're playing to a tournament pack so I mean so if I was going to masters like yeah I might have some preferences but in the end as long as I had enough notice to kind of process it all that it i've i don't feel like it should really be an issue other than if it the system was really wacky and seemed to be a bit bent out of shape oh definitely yeah um i think last year was too wacky the last Mm. game of push um it completely threw the entirety of the rankings out the window effectively um but that yeah i'm not we won't go into it because obviously i think yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think. But what you, what you want is you want it to you want it you want the system to give you a. Pre- you should be able to predict how what it's going to do. To it the should make, it should at least make sense within yeah. within the context of the scoring system. So if you're playing mm. Northern Kings and you go, well, this person won because they scored a lot of scenario and they killed a lot of stuff. Well, that makes sense. If you look at yeah. Blackjack and he goes, well, this person had a good attrition of killing things and not losing things and a good scenario. Well, yeah, that makes sense. 
And again, with King of Hearts, did you win all your games? Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, did you have the highest scenario with all the wins? And yeah, there you go. Yeah. As, yeah. Lo- as long as it's something like that and you don't go into it, and you look, well, where we had where um, one guy last year was undefeated and he came like mid-table and it just didn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that does end up feeling a bit off, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, um, yeah, okay. And so, and how long, how long before the event is it all finalized? So I'm just, I'm just looking at the page here. Uh, so for anyone that wants to check out more about the UK Masters, uh, there is kowmasters.com. And in the about page is where I'm sitting right now. And it's got you know, the Masters Committee what they're responsible for, how you rank tournaments. And I can see that for the event, although this maybe hasn't been updated, but I'll just read through it. At the end of each season, the top 16 players are, and the top of each faction, if the faction scored over 200 points, alongside the previous UK champion are invited to the Masters, held around February each year. Uh, in the event that two or more of those invited are unable to attend or decline, the 17th top player is invited and then the 18th and so on until there's at least 16. But you guys ended up with 26, I think. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So that was obviously your top 16 and then 10 of the best factions who weren't in the top 16 um, could also then jump on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that must have meant that quite a few of the top for factions were outside the top 16 to end up at 26. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. um, I think, I think I can't, remember, I can't remember exactly who was, but I think people like Brendan Heath, who was, um, I think he's 14. So obviously he did excellently uh, as a young un to get into, into masters and stuff. He got, wow. he got it on it. And he did all right, actually at the event itself. And then uh, I think Aaron ranking was your top goblins, that kind of thing. They had a top kingdom of men. So, um, that's how I think the other the, the the extra ten came in is that they did well with their factions, so that's how you got in for them. Which I, I don't mind; it, it pads the numbers out a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I certainly think you guys are from from afar are getting to a sized scene that can support it being that big. Do you know what I mean? Like the yeah, you just you you certainly the the scene in the UK seems to have undergone exponential growth, which is just awesome. Yeah, it's 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 grown quite well. It's grown locally as well, which is quite nice. I'm uh, I'm Leeds Wakefield based, so Leeds has actually picked up quite well recently. There's, they've gone from one or two people playing in the local store to like over a dozen uh, over the course of the last year. And I've got guys coming around to play at my place now and everything, uh, which is quite nice because that just wasn't really there before. So yeah, it's definitely it's definitely grown, which is quite nice. Yeah, I think you've, you 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 seem to have that. That right mix of not that it's necessarily easy to get around in the UK, it certainly can be quite challenging. But the population density being reasonable enough, but and quite a from afar, it seems like quite a nice scene. You know, plenty plenty of good people um, taking balanced lists. You know, not always about knocking each other's teeth out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely the case. It's a uh, it's UKC. I'd say is is quite chill. You've got your usual number of excellent players, and then you've got a lot of um, your tournament regulars who are, who are super chill, down the middle kind of fun, um, not overly tweaked lists, that kind of thing. It's not it's not super competitive in terms of what people are running list wise, but it can be obviously kind of competitive because there's some, there are some excellent players, and the number of really good players is actually it's increased quite a lot over the last 
definitely since the last um, the Masters I won before this one. Um, there's a lot more new good players coming onto the scene who really do deserve to be in the Masters. And a couple of the guys that I've played locally, they've only just started. Um, I can tell they were ex-War Machine players that, you know, giving them a year, they'll be making it for Masters themselves. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I can, I, I, that's immediately when I was looking at the results, what, what jumped out to me is that there's there's quite a few names I hadn't even heard of before. Yeah. And which, which, I love. I mean, we had it certainly at our, I mean, our, our Masters is a lot smaller here, but, you know, we had a bunch of first-time Masters players this year and um, it, I, I think that just shows great health in the scene, right? Yeah, definitely. definitely. It's, it's Obviously, it's what you need um, for any kind of wargaming scene because I think wargaming, if you go out to tournaments, it can – I guess it can be a little stale if you go to a weekend event and everyone you played, yep. you've played before. And then after the games, you all sit around together and you have a couple of drinks and you go for a meal together. And it does, you know, that injection of new people, uh, going to a 40 man tournament and then playing three or four new people. That's kind of what keeps the scene alive. Cause I think if you get to the stage where everyone's playing everyone again, um, that you already know, then you can, it can be stale and people will think, ah, oh, well, game's not growing i'll have a look elsewhere but if there's new people always coming in and people are bringing new armies with them that's a it's a lot more engaging for people who may be of that kind of persuasion so yeah yeah yeah, it's definitely what you need it's definitely what you need yeah for sure all right well we might take a brief break and then we'll get into the uk masters hi guys this is general Gaddafi from singapore and you're listening to counter charge okay welcome back so, Tom, I think first what we'll touch on is your list and maybe a little bit about construction. You've provided me with the list here. I mean, the first thing I'd say is, so I've got a ton of Northern Alliance craving to be built in my cupboard at the moment, and I've been playing, starting to dabble with it on UB, and they just have, I, I think the list has done really well at the moment. They've just got so many options, but within those options, it's actually, I, I end up feeling quite conflicted on what on what I put in to best make it run together. I think there's still some there's still some skill probably in making a, a list that synergizes well. Is that is that how you vibe the Northern Alliance at the moment? Um, yes, actually, I think Northern Alliance. Uh, I think the <sighs> Northern Alliance are really good at the moment, and I think they're really good because all the things that got buffed were things which were kind of useless before. The things that were really good either got toned down a little bit or left alone. So Northern Alliance before the buffs were um, you were dependent on pack hunters, um, lords on frostfang, and snow foxes because those are the only three units in the list which were correctly costed for the meta, I guess you'd say. Um, some of them, other units like um, Half-Elf Berserkers, they are appropriately costed, but you'd never run them because of the danger of running into to your regiments of glaze stalkers, which take them off in one round, was too great. So while they were probably costed, you wouldn't use them. And everything else was a little bit over-costed. Um, so you are now in a state, in a stage and in a place where with Ice Elementals getting a buff, with Ice Naiads getting a buff, um, with Dragons getting probably more of a buff than it needed, and new units in the Frostclaw Riders, you've got a lot more options for things which are um, able to function in like a, like a competitive tournament level list. I don't know. Some of it works well, quite well together. The whole changes to Frozen is quite nice. It's just when I was going mm. through it, I don't really see the need for 
all all the opportunities they give you to try and use that frozen synergy. I think it's actually a bit of a, a trap and over a yeah, an over investment on all the different frozen stuff wasn't really giving you much. Whereas I had one or two things that could give frozen and one or two things that could use Tundra Fire. And that's all I really needed. So mm. I think they're in a great place because you've wanted to go into that whole frozen and tundra fire thing you can. But I think when you see my list, you'll see there's only really three units which will ever benefit from the you know, enemies being frozen. Um, yeah, I, 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 just, I just went for a full efficiency, like things which were really well costed and had unit strength, things that were you know able to hold and not die, and then lots of everything scores effectively. So yeah, you know, really going for that um, the scoring system and how the tournament's been run, rather than thinking about you know this, that, and the other. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think if you if you play too much on the frozen mechanic, you get your list on the table, and then you're kind of like, this just doesn't quite work, you know, because you've probably paid a little bit too much for some things. Um, yeah. And uh, a spo- spoiler is that uh, if you want to hear more about the Northern Alliance, Tom has kindly agreed to come on our Northern Alliance Army review, and you will also hear for the first time on Counter Charge Rules Committee member Mike Crossman. So hopefully we're going to record that in about a week. And so we can delve into that further then. Um, now, back to your list. So, uh, Tom, you had a – I'll just go top to bottom and then we can talk about it. You had a horde of uh, what I like to call the unkillable ice naiads with tundra fighters, spears, and hammer of measured force, uh, four regiments of pack hunters with bows, uh, an ice elemental regiment, a horde of frost claw riders with boots of striding and ice bombs, a regiment of snow foxes, three snow troll primes, one with trickster's wand, one with the zephyr crown, one with boomstick, and then two lord on chimeras, uh, or <laughs> what I like to call now auto hit, auto wound dragons, <laughs> uh, one with blade of slashing, and one with pipes of terror. Both, I know they naturally come with icy breath, don't they? So, t- tell us about how you end up at this this list, Tom. <laughs> um, well, I think a lot of it kind of speaks for itself. I think with Northern Alliance, a lot of their characters are where their strongest point is. So, in order to get those characters, I needed unlocks, which were both going to do something in terms of scenario, do something in terms of contributing to you know giving game impact, shooting, fighting, that kind of thing and then would be resilient in themselves, which is where the pack hunters came in. So the four of them, they give me the unlocks I needed. They provide the shooting, which you know will help clear chaff. Will, when you put it all together, um, you're putting out 48 shots on fours, which is, it, you know, doesn't matter how, you know, doesn't matter what you are, it's going to do a bit of damage. Um, and obviously you can split them if you need to as well. And obviously with Pathfinder and Stealthy, they can, they can hold the terrain which the other units don't want to be in, and then they can hold up if they're getting shot at in return, which makes up for the fact that they are actually really flimsy otherwise. So that's kind of what their job is. Stand on objectives, do a bit of shooting, maybe throw, in the, throw themselves into a flank or throw themselves under the bus if I need to because they're cheap enough that I can lose them. And then the score mm. as well. They're really good units. Um, probably a little bit under-costed since the bows got upgraded 24-inch, if I'm honest, but I guess we'll cover that next week. Um, and then my final unlocking unit was the Ice Nyad Horde. And as you mentioned, yeah, these guys are these guys are my anvil of all anvils. So 
when they're coming in, defense four with ensnare, phalanx, and regen. And then I've got my ice elementals to give a frozen aura out effectively, which means that they also get life leech too whenever they fight and vicious. Um, they just they they hold up really well. They they can just tank. They can they can look at three units in the front, and those three units go ah well, it's not really worth it because I'm going to then get swamped by everything else because I'm just not going to kill them. But also with Hammer Measure Force, with 30 attacks because they've got spears, and then obviously the Tundra Fighter giving them Vicious from the same Ice Elementals that give them life to each two, you really are getting the points that you invest for that synergy. So previous to this, I had Hrimin who was doing that, but um, yeah. some people know Hrim was... I took Hrim to Crash of Kings UK, and he was the worst model on the field at any one given time, and he lost me the final game by being you know, terrible. But, a jerk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Points-wise, he's supposed to be good, but when I use him, he's terrible. Uh, I think he might, I think I, I charged him into Julius, so that's uh, 10 plus 2d6 attacks, and he did, like, two wounds. I, I think it's giant. It, it's just giants in general, right? Yeah. Except that you're paying so much for him that he's not the yeah. slightly cheaper anvil. I, I love putting him in the Northern Alliance list because it feels nice <laughs> yeah. to have him yeah, in I, there. I there's just games where he's well. just awful. Yeah, yeah, and that was him. Mm. The entire tournament was just awful. Mm. So he was out, um, and then in place of him, some ice elementals came in. So what they give is a little bit of shooting at twelve inch, which means that if other people are getting in close, they're actually still likely to do a damage, and you still like to make use of that frozen. Um, and then it does mean that you can use frozen shenanigans a bit more safely. But obviously, the chilling presence giving everybody within six inch frozen it just ties in with the ice knives more than anything. And then when it comes down to it, the dash 14, defense 5, which means it's hard enough to kill that. A lot of normal units will have to really invest into killing them. And that happened a couple of times with things um, like Iron Guard charging into them and just being held up for the extra turns longer than they really wanted to be held up. And that's what the Ice Elemental's really brought to the table. For a decent actual points cost of 145, they just did enough of everything to justify themselves. And it's obviously it's not a unit you see much because... Um, it's a regiment of ice elementals, but actually mm. they they were a really good solid choice for what seems yeah. like a, a random unit to add in. Yeah, and um, my last last of my main line units before I get to characters and chaff is the frostclaw rider horde. So these were these are in there because um, if you do the mass with them and a dragon, these guys with boots of shredding they'll do eight damage to any defense five unit, and then they'll freeze it because of their icy runes, which means that the dragon then has elite and vicious, and then whatever item I've given them to the blade of slashing or perhaps terror, which means that for the blade of slashing one, you're likely to do nine hits, which means you're likely to do nine damage. <laughs> so that's putting you on, you know, uh, seventeen damage, and that's killing any defense five, fifteen, seventeen unit, which is what I I like to mathematically have my units be able to kill on poor dice so that's kind of what they're there for and then they add into that shooting because at that, at that point i've got 48 bows uh nine from the ice elementals then another 12 from the frost claws my snow trolls have shooting and then the guys the laws of chimera can as well so you just get that nice mix of everything doing a bit of moving a bit of shooting and a bit of combat which means that everything can be a threat at any phase of the game um so yeah they, they're a good unit my they are very fragile for their points cost, so I wouldn't I wouldn't turn around and say they're right for everybody because I think a lot of people will find that when they try to use them, they're actually um, they can be a bit of a, a, a trap for some people. They're the only unit really really brings 
a decent amount of um, quality attacks with threat range behind them, because obviously Dragon only got 10. These guys have got nearly double that. So that they're really useful for that kind of threat projection. Um, and then, yeah, they, they, they're good. The defense for 14, 16 really hurts. Fury keeps them in it, but the amount of times that people were just pinging, pinging shooting at them because they're the only thing in my army which really cared, uh, that was that was very, very common. So, yeah, they were um, very good, but also very vulnerable. And then I've got some snow foxes, which are just your basic chaff unit, which are, which are great, as everybody knows. But I've only got one unit because um, I was very tight on points. And that's because I went all in on characters. So I've got three Snow Troll Primes. Uh, these guys are one of the best units in the Northern Alliance list because for 120 points base, the Defense 5, 13, 16 with regen, which just means they are so hard to get rid of. Uh, obviously, mm. they score, and they're going inspiring, and they're nimble, and they can fight a bit as well. So they do a bit of everything. Um, Hex was an automatic choice for one of these because if you go into Masters, odds on you're going to see Morgoth, you're going to see a Soul Snare. Um, you're going to see a big caster like a Glade Walker Druid with his um, Silly BS, that kind of thing. And th- those guys can just win a game on the, the key role that they need to. So the hex, hex caster on him was yeah, a no-brainer, really. Then I had uh, Zephyr Crown, which is Windblast 5. And actually, this was a waste of points, to be honest. I should have just gone for Mindfog and saved the points. But every time I tried to use it, it just didn't do what it needed to do. But I think that's more... Yeah, dice and anything else but i think that's part of windblast is if you rely on it to do your job you're you're in trouble because it's only windblast five and you need him four pluses and then the last one's boomstick so lightning ball three again as the shooting same as everybody else but yeah they're, they're great they they fight good enough they can intersperse them with your, your line units which means that when the flank turns up and they get into a flank well they're effectively a dragon at that point yeah excellent units um, and then all the items just give them a little bit. It was two, three, four, five points because Matt Cunningham, who was running it, is um, a bizarre man. So he wanted it to be two, three, four, five for no reason. So I just throw two items on there for rounding errors. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I've got two laws and Chimera. So yeah, these are my um, these are the you know the the, the two sledgehammers effectively. So the the idea for them is they'll range out other people's. Um, yeah, combat units which are cavalry etc and then when you go in with the elite with the possibility of vicious from tundra fire um and then with the items that i just i really need them to go around and kill stuff um and i think in hindsight blade of slashing and patch test sounds good but what i really should have gone with is probably um stain stone and charles wrath because people just decide to roll tends to waver these in nearly every game which is great when you've got your dragon sat there <laughs> doing nothing at 310 points but yeah, um, dragons are really good. I think they've been adjusted down twice now, and probably been adjusted down a bit too much. So yeah. Well, when you look at them, they've, they've just they've got to be about the the best value dragons in the game almost now, yeah, right? Yeah. For, for their base value, for getting the elite, and particularly if you're managing to get them into something that is frozen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You've got obviously yes, Tundra Fighters doesn't work. Um, outside of other units giving it. But things like these guys, the Abyssal Dwarf one, which is a dragon with regen, which they dropped the item because yes. it was it was busted in second edition, but then they just gave this dragon in the Abyssal Dwarf's Fury, Regen, and Vicious. You're like, well, 
Oh. That's everything you want on a dragon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the abyssal one as well is great because he comes with fury and vicious as well. Um, and mm. points. And obviously the, the orc ones because they don't waste points on breath attacks, but they get fury, yeah. so they're just super cheap. And obviously the Twilight Kins Void Lurker because why not make the Twilight Kins Void Lurker just better than Night Stalkers? You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I assume also that they're doing a bit of combo charging with the frost claw riders yeah because some people will be like watching you frozen from your ice elementals but potentially forgetting about the ice runes on the frost claw riders and you just roll them first all they have to do is do a wound and then you've got your tundra fighters on your chimera yeah yeah effectively and if if you need to because they're sitting on the flanks and the ice elementals in the middle when um when you get stuck in a melee then these guys can come flying in out of nowhere um they they just they can be super reliable. The amount of times they just do it, all right, here's nine, ten damage, um, and that's average. You go, it's, yeah, they're, they're good. Yeah, and, and and look, I actually, I don't mind a very cost-effective dragon because I don't think it's like it's, I think you've taken two, whereas we were probably seeing zero before. Yeah. And I think it's really unlikely that you'd see three. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and, 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 and so, so points I, to find room for three. Yeah, and and maybe now that they're they are US two, aren't they? Yeah, but but still, it's a lot of investment for three models that can get held up. So I, I don't think they're too far off, even if they were a touch cheap, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think they've um, solidly supplanted the Lord and Frostfang now that the Lord and Frostfang got dropped an attack. Um, yeah, I think I think. The changes they made had kind of just weirdly killed a lot of it wasn't much and it, it's not it's not like they got more expensive they dropped an attack and they dropped 10 points effectively um but yeah they kind of killed the lot of frostfang and a lot of chimera got good enough that it's definitely worth taking now uh in in place of the the frostfang because that difference in two attacks but also elite is actually quite a lot whereas before it was one attack and you're taking a blade of slashing on the Lord and Frostfang, uh, yeah. Anyway, what's what's your favourite unit in in not in the Northern Alliance list as a whole, but in in your list? What what was the did the heaviest lifting for you? Um, my well, I, not a single unit, but the the Snow Troll Primes, just because they were the amount of times people went into them with a the proper combat unit and they went, haha, I wavered. I back up and regen. They go back in. Haha! I'm still wavered, <laughs> and just yeah. picking, making sure people can't do anything for three turns, and then running off and standing on our objective and that kind of. They're just they were absolute money this uh, this tournament. Yeah, yeah, nice. And I think one thing that's important for them too is the wild charge one, right? Because it it's means nice. that yeah. there's a bunch of stuff that you you just outrange slightly. Yeah, most stuff with wild charge. One on a speed five is kind of irrelevant, but when it's on speed yeah. six, you've got that perfect point where you're outranging all, nearly all infantry. Um, mm. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. the thing with wild charge. When you go up to wild charge one on a, a speed seven unit, that's not really that effective. But on like a speed eight unit, there you go. You you you're actually countering cavalry, whereas a speed seven unit's not doing that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Right, well, let's get into the games. So uh, first up, you were playing against Goblins, and we and we don't obviously need to go kind of into turn by turn, but yeah. what, what what style of Goblin list was this, Tom, that you came up against? And this was 
Aaron his name? Aaron Rankin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Aaron Rankin had a, a nice mix of trash and melee goblins. Um, so like four regiments of rabble, three trombones, and then a standard bear with a diadem, two uh, one troll, one troll, two mincers, and a regiment and a, a troop, and a couple of bolt throwers, and then a, obviously a winged fry in the sky, and two of the um, well, the, wherever the big beasts are called again, I've forgotten now. Big beast, the slashers, slashers with the uh, with the uh, yeah, great crossbow with the war trombone on top, or no, yeah. with the crossbow with things. Okay, yeah, yeah. right on. Yeah, hmm. no, it's a good list, and it's nice to see a goblin list which isn't just trash and shooting or just melee. You know, mm. but yeah, it was a good game. Um, I I think this this is kind of what happened for the the entirety of this tournament is that I seized the objectives fairly early on. Uh, he struggled to come out to stop me from doing that. And by the time the ice naiads are in the middle and holding objectives, he's not really got much of a chance to take them off me. Um, so it ended up being a, a big 6-1 win to me. But I think the key things was he missed a, a flank at one point with his horde of mincers, which meant a dragon could get, get into the flank of them and just wipe them out. And that's the only tool he really had that could you know go into the ice naiads and stand a chance. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's goblins. It's, it's, it's the nature of, of goblins is fighting ice knights. What on earth do you have that can, can get into them, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, what's what's going to take them out? I neglected to say that this was plunder. So plunders, that's five tokens Super across loot, the middle. five tokens in the middle, yeah. 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 And so 6-1 is worked out based on, because plunder's the one with, it's two's got two, doesn't it? Yeah, so you've got two yeah, that yeah. are worth two and three that are worth one. So it's effectively seven points on, on the table. Yeah. Um, and I, what I what I did, and I did this for most of my games, is that because scenario points were so much more important than kill points, um, when I got to when I realised I was going to have about six, I was legitimately just not making easy charges that would kill stuff because the kills didn't matter, and instead I was happy throwing units forward because if I got a double one and I lose a scenario point, well that's far more important than you know killing a, a, a slasher. So I had like a, a flank charge on a slash with a, a horde of ice knights. I mean, I'm not going to bother because if I get a double one here, you can kill the ice knights, and that's a that's a scenario point down the drain, you know. So like I was just throwing stuff in the way as chaff for a game which I was easily winning because, um, you know that was that was mathematically safer than trying to yeah. kill stuff. It's just w- walking away, which is a hundred percent why I like different scoring systems, right? Because it can change how the game is played on the tabletop. Yeah, I mean. You'd get some people, I guess, who would take that charge, Tom, and then they say, oh, you know, uh, who do roll double ones and then go, oh, you know, that, that ruined the game and cost me the game. But but in the end, they took a charge that they didn't need to take. Yeah, yeah, and that's that yeah. to what I was doing. Um, mm. This list can be really killy, uh, but in the, the context of this scenario, I wasn't, you know, in the, in the, how the tournament was scored, I wasn't, I wasn't bothered about that. So I used nearly the same list at a previous tournament, and I got like a ninety-five percent kill rate. So I killed ninety-five percent of all three opponents that I played effectively. <laughs> and I think I got less than fifty in this one because I was like, "Here's a dragon, it's chaff." <laughs> and I think that's that's. I'm, I'm assuming too in in the these scenarios having those multiple regiments of pack hunters, like you said, because they're cheap, but also if they've pushed forward towards a token. You know, there's a little bit of fighting in the shade going on if they're all bunched around together, isn't there? So, yep. like, unless unless the opponent really commits to taking a bunch of them out at once, it can be quite difficult. 
Yeah, so I had that going on the left-hand flank where I had two units of pack hunters, and all they were doing is walking forward, taking some pot shots, and then heading towards the token. And by the time they got to the token, they just sat there on the token and took pot shots and uh, yeah, picked up a couple of water trombones, um, picked up a, a bolt throw at the back, that kind of thing. That's all they really needed yeah. to do was you know, sit there, contribute shooting, and then capture some projectors. So they're really good for that. And against goblins with hordes of rabble, you know, two regiments with bows. They, they, they did eventually, I think, turn three, two regiments killed off a horde, uh, which just takes so much out of goblins because goblins, all their stuff, which really does the killing for the most part, doesn't score. And if you kill all the scoring units, well, goblins can't win the game, regardless how much stuff they kill of yours. As long as you've got unit strength and they don't, you win. You know? Yeah. So that was, that was the idea, is I'm going to go in, I'll kill all the big units, um, my ice knights will sit in the middle, he can't kill them, and I'll win the game, which is pretty much what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're re- they're really a unit that gets to play every single turn, aren't they? Yeah, you know? and most of my list mm. was you know designed around doing that and scoring. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, as you mentioned, you got six one in that, and so in in game two, that brings you up against uh, Andy Ransom with his Abyssal Dwarves in Smoke and Mirrors. Yeah, um, yeah. So one of the bluff token scenarios yep how, how do you feel about those scenarios in general uh i quite like them usually i mean usually it's fairly obvious what someone's going to do you look at their army and you look at um where as they deploy and you go ah well yeah the two's got to be there because no one's going to put no one's going to put a zero front and center in the middle because when you then want to place a token which costs something it's going to be 12 inches further in away from you so most of the time when you play smoke and mirrors or fool's gold you can be fairly certain that the scoring ones are going to be as close to the you know, your units as possible for both sides, effectively. Um, but yeah, this one, this one against Andy did throw me uh, for a loop a little bit because I wasn't expected to do what he did. Um, but yeah, if you want to actually, you can watch the game. If you go to Andy Two D Six's YouTube channel, uh, he did a, obviously a full report on the entire Masters, so you can watch. You literally watch my game there if you want. To be far more interesting, listen to me talk about it on here <laughs> with Andy's glowing uh, and colourful commentary. But yeah, it was an interesting one because we had two pieces of impassable uh, quite close together but quite small, which meant that none of his units could fit through there because Andy was running Abyssal Dwarves, but actually a fast Abyssal Dwarf list. So he had two half breeds, um, two grotesque hordes, uh, two, two gargoyles. Yeah, the, the supreme iron winged caster on giant winged half abyssal half breed half thing. Um, yep. Silly name. They had a, a grotesque champion who are really good, expensive, but they are so good. Um, and then he had Bracky Barker, Bazuzu, and a regiment of immortals. So, oh, and then I think he had a, a shooting shredder or whatever they're called, the equivalent that the abyssal dwarves get. So yeah, he didn't have too much in terms of shooting, and he didn't have too much in terms of scoring units, which was designed to stick around really. And with that amount of cavalry, my ice nired horde, which go, you're at minus two to hit me, uh, are pretty much laughing. So it was going to be a struggle for him because it wasn't really a nice matchup. I've got a lot of shooting, which is half breeds, which a defense four really don't like, and then I've got a horde of pikes with regen, which are tailor made for killing grotesques. Um, you know, so that that was his issue. We've played before, actually, with a similar list. Um, and again, he, we had a bit of a debrief after the game, and I was telling him, well, you want to get Bazuzu and Bracky into the flank of the Nyad Horde. Um, and then, lo and behold, we play again in the Masters, and Andy's anchoring and 
looking to try and get Bazuzu and Bracky into the bank of the Nyad Horde. So didn't really you know, do myself any favours in that one. But um, yeah, the tokens were behind mostly the two impassable, which were actually a tricky for him to get at. So I wasn't expecting to do that because logistically getting that many of his units in there to stand on them was going to be next to impossible if I just decided to put you know an equal number of units to face him. And that's kind of what happened. Um, I moved my shooting forward. I went after one grotesque hard, and I mean, yeah, they they had defense five for regen, and he does have a healing supreme ironcaster, but I hexed it every single turn, so it has effectively fireball 21, and it has heal like six or seven if he's near other half-breed units, but all of that's relevant for a 300-point unit if it's hexed. Um, so first round, I did decent damage. Second round, I did even more and wavered him. Uh, it began to panic a little bit, and in third round, you know, Three lightning bolt, twenty-four bows, uh, twelve frost claw shots. Just took him off, and at that point, he decided he had to commit because he was beginning to run out of units, and he wasn't going to win the game by sitting back because I had the shooting. So he committed. He sent everything in. Um, it didn't come off for him, um, and at that point, I, I, I killed enough stuff that I could, you know, pick and choose here and there what I was doing. It became fairly safe, I think, from about turn five. Um, so he he went in at that point for kills, and after you start after you start going for kills in a, a scenario based game like that, you know it's it's we could both tell right right was kind of on the wall, and it wasn't a great matchup for him. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a good game. Obviously, Andy's a an absolute gent to play. Um, he was angling to really get Zuzu and Bracky into the flank, but I was adamant he wasn't going to let him do that. <laughs> um, mm. So I, I baited him out with some pack hunters because obviously both of those guys are really good at just killing pack hunters. So I bade him out with them to tie them up for a little bit while um, I pushed the Ice Knights forward to take some objectives in the centre. Um, and then by the time he wanted to bring them back, it was too late and they were committed to the, the pack hunters and couldn't get away in time to, to help out. So the Ice Knights just got to chew through um, grotesques and half-breeds and at that point dragons join in. It just got a bit it got a bit too much at that point for Andy to, work, to bring it back because you lost one or two units and when you start chasing a game, you're looking for a bit of dice to bring it back, you know. Uh, and when the dice, you know, when you're looking for really good dice to bring you back into the game, it's not, it's not in a, you're not in a great place. So when the dice didn't come off for him, um, yeah, at that point, it's just a cascading failure, isn't it? So that ended up being another big win. I think it was either 6 1 or 7 1. Because, um, yeah, at the end of the game, he ran off to claim a scenario point, and I just left him alone, and I went after my own scenario points to maximize the win. And I think in something like this, where a lot of people were, because it's Masters and everyone's pretty good, getting four threes and five twos. Um, coming out with a six and a seven off the first two games was you know, big. It gave me a nice big lead. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, and so, yeah, ended up six or seven one. But like you said, if you pop over to Andy2D6, you'll be able to, <laughs> you'll be able to find out for sure uh, on YouTube. And that that brought you up a oh, we we mentioned this before about uh, as a list, but Empire of Dust with with Matt Goody. And so, was it a was it a typical Empire of Dust list with all the living legends or? Um, no, because it didn't have Shobik, I and mean, that's odd. Oh, <laughs> yeah, jeez. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, he had the Raz Chariot thing, which is effectively a living legend. Uh, he had the Soul Snare, and he had the Monolith. So you know. I think with Empire Dust, you go two out of three living legends. Uh, isn't bad. Um, yeah, and so he, he had those three. He had two element um, instead guardians. He had a, a horde of. I don't, I don't know if it was spear. I think it was a horde of warriors. You know, basic skelly dudes. 
a regiment of spears, um, a bow and giant. Um, is it Wummies? And he had another regiment of spears, I should say. Then a revenant cav regiment and a revenant cav troop, and then uh, the bone worm thing. So yeah, he had a, he was oh, a yeah. nice so giant and a worm. Okay, interesting, nice. Because yeah. mm. they're, they're quite good. Because obviously Raz can give them uh, melee three plus, which I kind of yes. thought about and then didn't really take pr- into proper account, which came back to bite me. <laughs> but yeah, so it was. Um, no, what was the scenario again for this one? I think it was hold the line. Hold the line. So hold the line. Yeah, and Raz got a lot better in the update because oh, it God, used, yeah. he used to have to be in combat, but now he casts it out in a six. Well, you pick something within six inches, I think. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. hold the line is all about getting in the middle. You want to hold all three to areas. So you split the, you take a twelve-inch block of the center. You split it into three. And it's it's two points to hold the left, three points to hold the middle, two points to hold the right. So I. Waited my right flank, um, thinking, well, I could see what Matt was doing. Matt was waiting his left and then hoping to pivot into the middle late game. So it means that I have the left flank for certain. There's nothing you do to take it off me. So it's just a matter of me holding the center. And that's kind of what happened, really. Um, Matt had some pretty hot dice, which kept throwing me for a loop as I was doing the mass thing. Yes, we are right. And then lo and behold, it was not okay. Um a good example, I put my dragon up uh, in range of his bone dragon. He charged the bone dragon in. He got Raz on it to give melee three, and then he does nine damage to the dragon and wavers it. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> that's, that's not a good place to be. Um, and at that point, I turned around. I threw a load of shooting into it. Um, did a decent amount of damage. He charged the dragon again and killed it, which was a bit like, yeah, at that point, after the first really good round, he's on the second round, he's probably going to kill it. But it, you know, it kind of sucked you having a dragon and it not even throwing any dice in combat. Um, I threw another round of shooting at that dragon. Uh, I rolled like crap, effectively, and double wound it, which was amazing because then I lost another unit and I had to, and I had to throw even more units into a third round of shooting the damn thing to make sure it died. It just meant I, I couldn't use those units to go off and kill things which need to die. I could have killed the soul snare and I could have charged a wizard, but I had to use my frost claws to shoot it. Um, a damn buddy uh, bone dragon instead, uh, and that was the one time when I got you know, the the problem with the soul snare. It just it aims at frost claws and goes, yeah, this is really what frost claws hate to have happen to them. No cover, wounding on threes, healing all the units next to him, all that kind of stuff. And I, I failed to get my hex off, so I took hex for him, and then I didn't cast it because I failed it, and uh, and then it couldn't see, and then it was out of range, and then it was just. Every time it got into range, I, I didn't have my hex up, so it just killed the thing. But it got it got to the point where the left was safe. And again, if you want to watch this, um, it was streamed. So it is on Steve Hildrew's Death by Dragons YouTube. So you can go watch Masters Day 1 on there to watch mm-hmm. the full stream of it. And yeah, it turned into, like I thought it was going to be, a big scrum to hold the middle. Um, he I think he held back too much, to be honest. He needs to push further forward to you know gain a bit of territory to be able to stand in the middle, but he didn't do that. So I took the territory under the woods, which was in the in the middle of the zone, effectively. And then when the game got to turn three, four, uh, I moved into the wood. I zoned him out so he couldn't get his units into the actual wood to be able to you know contest me for the objective. And at that point, it's him trying to find a way to bust through ice naiads. Um, so I was just like. Ice elementals were blocking off Raz, and then he had a, a trooper revenant uh, cavalry 
which spent three turns fighting at my ice elementals and just they refused to die because ice elementals defense 5 14, which is great because it meant that his regiment was behind him and they couldn't do anything. And then Raz had to spend a turn getting out from behind them as well. Um, and I was just throwing, I, I threw a dragon in front of a unit of enslaved guardians as chaff, thinking, yeah, that'll, that'll do two or three turns. It'll do a bit of damage and I might be able to pick it up some shooting afterwards. Uh, it didn't. So the ice, uh, the, Instead of Guardians, do like 9 or 10 damage and waver him immediately again. And I'm like, well, this is a second time this has happened that my dragon hasn't done a single round of combat. But it's what it is. He's doing his job. He's chaffing. Um, the Ice Knights were terrible. They did 2 damage to a, a, a giant, which was not great when you're hitting on, I think I was 5s because I charged, and then winning on 4s with Vicious. But hey, I was thinking, all right, it won't go very well the first round. Uh, but the second round, I'll have all my stuff. I'll be hitting a force, and I'll just kill the uh, the giant and move on. Uh, it's not what happened. The soul snare happened instead. <laughs> I was like, well, this isn't great. Um, and then I was throwing snow trolls in the way of units to stop him from being able to add them to the fight and just blocking and traffic jamming shit up and just yeah, throwing loads of units under the bus. Uh, in a vain hope of stopping him from being able to get multiple units into the Ice Nards, which he did eventually. Um, so he got to turn six, and he had nothing in my center zone. I had the left flank, it was fine, and he had the right flank. Um, and turn six, I, I'd won. So he rolled for a four plus. Obviously, it's a turn seven. Um, and I was a bit like, <sighs> could I could I not have caught a break? Because the entire game, it's been... Um, he's had some good dice. Uh, and I've been kind of suffering with the, the consequences of that. And it came down to enslaved guardians in the flank, enslaved guardians in the front, and a bone dragon in the front, a bone giant in the front of the ice nards. And then he double won it. And I'm like, yeah, what? I deserve that. <laughs> because I've spent so long trying to make sure he couldn't get units, even on overrun, to get into my zone. That we tested it afterwards and it turned out with, if he'd got the overrun, he'd, he would have got them both in. But thanks to the double one, I, I held on to the win there. Um, which is, I think it was, a, yeah, it's a 5 2 because of how the scenario works. It's either going to be, you know, because it's a 2 3 2. So it's obviously going to be a 5 2 or whatever if you get the win. But yeah, that was a really good game. That was a pleasure to play. Um, I was I was very worried throughout a lot of that game that I was getting diced off. <laughs> um, so again, I was, I was throwing away key units as chaff effectively, uh, dragons for chaff, all that kind of stuff, and just holding on to. The scenario for dear life which uh, which paid off and that's that's how i had to play you know um if the dice don't go against you if the dice go against you and you're playing a scenario game if you can do things where you know dice don't matter by just blocking units off so they can't do anything well you know that that's that's what you gotta do <laughs> and, it, and it paid yeah. off yep take 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 the dice out of it yeah yeah <laughs> as much as you can yeah pretty much that's why things like fearless and fury are so good because you're having that certainty of knowing what's going to happen next for sure, for sure, and I think that's like you say that fearless. It's it's part of what makes the Empire of Dust so strong, um, combined with those, um, you know, the living legend units that are really really good for their cost. Yeah, um, yeah, like like the Zolts there, like you said. Oh, you know, God, I hate that thing boy, so much. For 120 points, it does some oh, heavy God. heavy work. I hexed it as well. And he cast well. I think, yeah, yeah, actually, I did hex it and he cast anyway because it's like, I don't care. <laughs> it's got 15 nerf for God only knows reason. Then he just healed it with um, Sebek Rai, who was next to it. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so even hexing that thing doesn't always work. 
No, 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 that's right, for sure, yeah. And so that was three games. I'm assuming it was three games day one, day one is that right? So there's a there's the the night after that and and did you get to was it pretty predictable who you were going to match up against the next day? So did you go into a zen state overnight, Tom, and you know, sit on top of a mountain with your legs crossed and think about what you were going to do? Well, it was it was me and Chris Lynch and I think Chris had um was coming off the back of being ill, so he decided to go to his back to his hotel and get some rest, whereas um, I think the rest of us went out to get a uh, barbecue in Nottingham and have a, a couple of drinks in town, which was which was great. Um, that's it's, it's tradition. You go to Nottingham for Masters, you're going to go out into Nottingham on the night and, uh, yeah, relive my university days, which I had there. Yeah, as you said, it was Chris Chris Lynch, who former master, mm. playing his dwarves, and I can see the scenario was rack and ruin, yeah. which uh, must be one of the the, the not played ones that Mark came up with that you were alluding to before. Yeah, I think this is Mark put it in. I think it's a Steve Hildrew design scenario. Um, so it's got like two dominate zones, and then there's an objective, which are obviously one on the left, one on the right, in the centre. And then there's a token in the middle, so it's progressive scoring. So turn three, four, and five, whoever has the most unit strength in one of those circles will score a point. Uh, so turn three, both of you can score a point effect. Well, anyone can score two points. And then same for turn f- uh, four, so four points are then gone. Turn five, six points are gone. And then turn six, and then maybe seven, that objective in the middle, it becomes the only scoring point. So at that point, you want to move into the middle to take that. So it's a bit odd. Um, but yeah, it's I'm I'm not a massive fan because a lot of those games were four threes where, as you were deploying, someone looked at it and went, "Ah, he's over invested on that side. I'm going to invest on the other side." Um, mm-hmm. So it, all of them became a strong left side versus a weak left side. So you'll split you each of you'll split and take a dominant zone each effectively, and then you'll fight over the middle, which is what happened in our game. <laughs> Yeah, right. And and the the difference with this game is that you lost. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the but, but like you said, tight loss, so three four. Oh yeah. Yeah. Again, it was another it was another game of turn six I won. Um and another game of I think when I said I was just covering uh, Chris's list, it's a dwarf with a lot of infantry. He's got the formation, obviously. He's got two moments of Vanguard. He's got Faber, because obviously he's got two single juggernauts. He's got Gollock's Fury, because, you know, obviously. Uh, three sharpshooters, some Mastiffs, and then everything's got th- two Mastiffs, and then everything's got throwing dogs. And he's also got a, a Berserk Lord with wings as well, just to, you know, make up for the areas where dwarves kind of struggle. Uh, so, yeah, really solid, really good dwarf list. And, yeah, like, like I said, he pushed one flank and had that. I just tried to delay. And then we did the same on the other flank. Uh, I overextended my ice naiads and they got shot off, which was um, surprising to me. But yeah, I didn't need to go as far forward as I did. Golok did a load of damage, and then second round um, they did you know another really good round of shooting. Um, it seems to be the thing the theme with me and Chris when we play is that Chris gets excellent shooting dice, and then I kind of lament my life choices. Um, but yeah, this is this was actually my first loss to Chris, um, and again. Turn six, I had the center. Um, I'd, I'd have to throw my ice nides away. It was a lot trickier because he struggles to kill the ice nides with his dwarves. Um, but with me throwing them away to shoot in, at that point, I was throwing snow trolls and dragons right under the bus as chaff just to hold him back long enough that I can claim the middle token. 
because obviously it's 3-3 because three, three, I think Rack and Ruins uh, has it been progressive scoring. It's not, yeah, I'm, I'm not sold on it. But yeah, so we're fighting over the token in the middle for turn six. Um, I, I'm winning turn six. We roll for a far plus, and yet again we get a far plus. Um, I, mean, I just I, I ran out of things to throw under the bus at that point, and he ended up edging out the win on that one. So it was super close, uh, really good game. But what it meant is because I'd ho- scored so highly in my other scenarios uh, in previous games, it meant that while Chris was now undefeated on f- four wins, and everyone else was on three and one effectively, so no one else had a draw or anything. It meant going to the final game was going to be a rematch because I had the most scenario points apart from obviously Chris who was on four wins. It meant that yeah, last game if you so play that, the win you could play. So that game. must mean it's not using Swiss then. So it wasn't Swiss because true Swiss would go on your tournament points, not the wins. Yeah, so um, Chris was on four wins, and then there was like four or five of us on three wins and a loss. Yeah. So, oh, and and sorry, sorry. True yeah. Swiss would mean it would usually account for um, doesn't usually allow rematches, yeah. even if you are subsequently next to each other. Yeah, yeah. effectively. But um, in this in this pack, if you played someone once and you play in the final game, you can play them again. Uh, last wow. year, last okay. year it was a choice. So last year, um, me and James Mitchell were top table in the last game, uh, mm-hmm. and I could have chosen to play him again which I decided not to because I'd, I'd played it once already, um, despite the fact I knew that he, me and him was a very good matchup for me. And I just played him and beat him quite handily. And I thought, oh, I could do that again. But I wasn't too bothered about um, winning Masters. So I, I swapped, played John Quayle, promptly got my ass kicked. And, uh, and then because of the silly scenario scoring, John Quayle didn't win. And uh, Chris Lynch uh, leapfrogged him. So we actually had kind of the same thing happening in reverse this time where um, I now had to beat Chris and then with enough scenario that even with a, like a small win, I would be far enough away from everybody else that it would you know be um, a certainty for me to win. But yeah, so we went to the last game. Uh, the scenario was pillage. So that's your usual seven tokens go stand on them. Um, I spread them out as much as possible because he's walls and he doesn't like to run. Uh, I mean, these days, it's much easier to run because of Warden March. But, yeah. Um, and then what happened in there was uh, those sharpshooters are an absolute pain in the backside. And if you've got high one difficult terrain, my Frost Claws have nowhere to hide. So if you watch the game, because, again, this one was on stream, uh, my Frost Claws spent, like, the first four turns hiding in the shadow of a very small piece of Impassable because it was the only place on the board where there was any safety for them because otherwise... Um, Chris's sharpshooters were living up to their name by shooting very sharply and killing all the stuff last game. Uh, so this time we didn't want to, didn't want to chance it. Um, but yeah, a similar kind of similar way to last time in that we both kind of chose three tokens that we would have fairly safely, and then we we're going to fight over the one in the middle. But this time I was a lot. I, I played a bit too blase, I think, in my, my the first game with Chris, and this time I was a lot more dialed in on what I needed to do. Um, so again, it was a case of peeking units out, picking up ed- you know, units here and there, getting pack hunters to pick off mastiffs, um, pulling juggernauts aside and, and killing them, um, and then having my dragons be in good position. And what usually happened, as it happened pretty much the entire tournament, um, it happened in the previous game with Chris. Uh, a steel juggernaut goes into my chimera, 
needs a 10 to waver it, gets a 10, obviously. Happened again in this time, in this game. He gets a, a Chimera up to seven, gets a 10, waves it again. And I'm like, oh my God, it's going to happen again. He's going to do it to me a second <laughs> time. <laughs> but... um. <laughs> I, I was I was throwing enough units forward that I was forcing him then to commit stuff and then really double down on committing so he couldn't bring stuff across to the middle in time. Um, so a frost claws took a, a flank charge on a um, whatever the spear unit bulwarkers are killed them. And then he just had to keep sending units in to make sure he could score that left side token. And he just didn't have the shooting to pick up uh, my snow trolls. So I had snow trolls sat at the back of the board on objective. He was pinging sharpshooters at them, and the snow troll was like. Eh, I've got regen, and he do, he do, he couldn't clear the units off of the tokens, so it, be, it became a scrum around the middle, and effectively the same as last time. Only this time, because I've been a bit cannier, uh, I kept my ice knives out of shooting. I moved them into the wood, stood them on the objective. Chris came towards the challenge on the objective, and then I I got to charge him effectively, which gave me more of that little six inch circle, so I could then move all my units in behind them and around it to give me uh, nine unit strength on the objective. Uh, and then we got into a bit of a scrum over it. He, If he'd have killed my ice elementals, it'd have been a draw, which would have won in the game. Uh, he didn't get it. I mean, it was unlikely to, because again, Iron Guard don't one-shot um, ice elementals, as you, you should expect. But it was one of the ones where Chris rolled it. He rolled really well, did five damage. And I was like, oh no, you might get it. And I think you needed a seven twice because they're already on they're already hurt, but obviously inspired. So they they, they stood firm. Uh so yeah, turn six, I win. Uh four plus again, third time in a row now. Um we get it. And it's a turn seven, so I then have to play for a turn seven to make sure that he can't find a way to win. And it fundamentally came down to um his iron guard and his Golok charge the Nyads in a an attempt to you know, maybe kill them. They did really well. They got like 11 damage through against Ensnare and Phalanx, which is good going. Um, I regen a decent amount off. That Life Leech came into play. I got him down to 5 damage. I killed off one of the regiments, which meant that it was going to be nearly impossible for him to fit in. Um, and then his Horde was stuck there doing nothing. Uh, I mean, it did nothing last game, and it did nothing this game, because I was just he was stuck behind other units, and I threw a load of my stuff in the way to make sure that the, the Horde couldn't do out. So I had a snow troll, which was just blocking him off, and his own unit was then blocking off his right side, so he couldn't get around him. Um, and then, yeah, turn seven, he ended up being a, a fairly safe win to me in the end because I just out-unit strengthened him, and I had too much of the, the central area, which he, he couldn't shift me off of because those ice nides, are, they're just so tough to, to move. Um, and, yeah, Golok had a one vain last throw of the dice, but it, he's not going to do it. He's hitting on fives. I'm down to five damage, and it's a horde of ice nides, you know. So yeah, uh, I I held on. I got my four three, and because I had so many scenario points from from previous games, it meant that the guys on two, table two couldn't really leapfrog me. Given it, it it was an unusual thing to play someone twice in a row, although you said it was kind of the same last masters. How much do you think getting the effectively a practice game, the game of game before against the list helped or otherwise? Yeah, I think it was. That was definitely more in my favour than Chris, I think. Uh, I definitely made sure to learn my lessons and not give any kind of chance for him to shoot at me. Um, because, I, I mean, the, the, I think the trap you can fall into with regen units is thinking, well, they're shooting me two or three times. That doesn't matter. I've got regen. But you're not going to regen those two or three damage. Likelihood is, those two or three damage will be two damage in the next one or two turns. So they're still going to be there. 
and when they keep shooting, oh, you're up to five now, and you regen down to four. You're like, actually, um, you are hurt, and that does stay there. It doesn't go away, maybe as quickly as you as you as you'd like, you know. Yeah, yep. And I think I think it probably, yeah. Obviously, it wouldn't always this be this way, but it probably does would have the tendency to favour the person who lost slightly because yeah, you get an opportunity. Like naturally, you would pivot harder than the person that won. Right. Yeah. You would go, this definitely didn't work, which has contributed to my loss, where the other person potentially is sitting there going, well, why wouldn't I just play it the same? Yeah. So it, that was definitely the case. I think that was definitely the case in our game. I think I was a bit too blase in the first game. Um, it felt, the first game felt fairly safe. And it would have been, I think, if I hadn't thrown my Ice Nides away, I could just last, you know, last turn had the Ice Nides sit on the token and be like, come at me, you're not shifting them. Uh, this time, I, I learned that mistake. I was a lot more cagey with the other units, which before I were getting shot, um, and you, you know, I did I did the right thing this time, and it just made it very very hard for Chris to be able to uh, shift me. Yeah, I'm I'm not convinced in a five game tournament that the that rematches need to be allowed, right? I, like I, I assume part of that is so that you do have the top two players playing in the last game. But five games in a Masters, you're going to have had five good players anyway. Yeah, yeah. I could. I mean, it's one of the ones where um, last year it, I, I effectively had the choice to turn around and say, I can play the same guy again um, or not. And this time it was a no, it does mean you are playing the same person again. And I can see the icon for both of them. You know, it's, it's one of the ones where for... Um, for other people, if it was a choice and if someone feels they're being pressured into saying, oh, yeah, I would like to play somebody else, knowing that... So if I came out from the other side uh, last year and said, well, I really want to win Masters this year, um, I'd like to play James Mitchell. Um, obviously, not that James Mitchell's an easy game by any means, but it was a, it was a good matchup for me last year. Um, and then everyone else is saying, I'd like to swap. There is a... It's kind of... There is that peer pressure to go with the rest of the group. And if you take that away from them and saying, whoever's at the top score, this is this is Masters, whoever's got the two highest scores, they're playing the last round, off you go. Unfortunately, if you're playing each other again, would it matter if it was game one or would it matter if it's game four at that point? You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's all... Oh, well, well, I guess the thing is, is yeah, I don't, I don't think there should be a choice, but if it was if it was proper Swiss, it's... It the the way the software should work is that it shouldn't match you up against someone who's already you've already played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think the best option is there is no choice, and it's it's down in the pack beforehand. <laughs> so yeah, this, this yeah, time yeah. Mark was, yeah, we're using Mark Swiss or we're not. We're yeah. using something unusual. Yeah, hundred mm. percent. Mm. And like you said, again, it probably comes back to what I said about the system. You know, as long as you know. Yeah, yeah. You, I yeah. mean, it's, you, you've all said yes. You don't have to come to Masters. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I don't mind either. I don't mind either way. If it if it's one of the ones where maybe I mean I wanted to win Masters this year. I wasn't too fussed last year, but I was happy to have my my own downfall in in control of my own you know in, in, of my own two hands in that last game. Um, I'd lost the previous game, and it was up to me to, you know, if I win, that's all on me to get it back. I wasn't relying on someone to beat Chris, and then me to beat uh, whoever it is on table two to be able to jump back over him. You know, um, it was all down to fate being in my own hands. Yeah, and um, for those that might have seen the companion, 
obviously it, it ends up looking there's a whole bunch of you on 21 tournament points but i think that's probably just because the companion didn't have yeah whatever um the the nuances of what mark was using in the scoring system so obviously you ended up on top but there were one two three four what is that six people who went four and one which yeah. is incredible yeah i mean it speaks yeah. to um how tight it's really got in the uk in terms of masters because uh, i remember the second time uh, i won masters I, I ran away with it you know um because i had some silly undead bs dragon back when undead were massively broken and i was taking the piss and i didn't, I didn't realize just how broken that this was but it, it speaks to the game being in a really good state for balance because if you look at that top six they're all different it's northern lions abyssal dwarves twilight kin dwarves again well normal dwarves salamanders and then elves and actually you have to go down to eighth before you get a, an army turning up for a second time you know yeah for sure and I think um, the the other thing that stands out is that to to find kill points lower than yours, <laughs> you end up down at thirteenth. Yes, and actually with, with Peter Wrench, R- yeah. R- poor Rob Hudson, who ended up getting the uh, wooden spoon and the coming last. Spoon. Yeah, he, he got more than you. He killed like five hundred <laughs> point, more points than me. But that's because I was zeroed in on win the game. And I will sacrifice. I'll decide not to kill a thousand points if it means not killing up one scenario point. You know, um, yeah. Which I, I think is a great tip for new players, right? It's it's Kings of War in general. I think is that you know it's it's ultimately about scenario, but that you know how much that you can pivot to just play scenario and still still win the game or win the tournament. Yeah, and and we and we see that around the world. And the other thing that I've really loved about US Masters, UK Masters, uh, Aussie Masters or and Clash is that now we've just seen lists that do do a bit of everything. You know, we haven't seen something bias hard in one direction. It's quite quite balanced lists overall. Yeah, yeah. it's um, That's not how I usually play. Like if you look at my, like I was talking about previously, my previous tournament I was on 95% kill. And this time on less than 50, um, my usual approach to the game of Kings of War is play kill for four turns with the scenario in the back of your mind and the enemy can't take an objective if they're dead, you know. But this was, um, here's a dragon, you can kill it, just leave my, leave the objective alone. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, so that took us to the end and has you, you know, covering yourself in glory for another 12 months, Tom. Yeah. Uh, do the Northern Alliance get retired for a little while now, or what, what's 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 next from a tournament perspective for you? I'm in the f- weird. This for me, it's weird in that I have no idea. Um, for the last like three years, I've had a backlog of silly lists in my back pocket that I've been wanting to use. Uh, at the moment, I have one silly list in my back pocket which I'm looking to use, and I've got no idea what I'm going to do with the rest of my time. So. I might just play around with Northern Northern Alliance and run some different versions of the list to see if there's anything in there which uh, I really like the look of more. So I think I might even bring out Olaf. I use Olaf at a little, uh, the Northern King's King Con, so like ambush events and stuff, and he was actually surprisingly good. So I might have my little Olaf missile in, in future lists, which would be a first because I've said he was crap for the last four years or whatever. Awesome. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time. 
Tom, it's getting into the evening for you, getting close to to me having to get ready for work, right, uh, actually, at about 20 past six in the morning. <laughs> Do you, uh, if you'd like to take us out? Yep. Uh, I'm Tom Robinson, and keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.